This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, welcome back to Truck Tech here on Freightwaves TV. This is Alan Adler, the Detroit, excuse me, I keep saying Detroit, Midwest Bureau Chief for Freightwaves. And I'm really happy to see everybody back today. We have got a packed show for you today. This is uh, so packed that we had to double the length. We've got uh, a lot coming up today. We're going to start with Daryl Adams from the, the CEO of uh, and president of the Shift Group. But we'll get to Daryl after these few headlines. Shift uh, made some news, and Daryl's going to share that with us down in uh, down in Indianapolis today. But they weren't the only ones. Um, Mack Truck uh, brings us an electric version of its MD medium duty. Also, we've got uh, we've got some from a couple other makers. But but Mac uh, basically is bringing its second electric truck now. The first being the LR Electric refuse hauler that it uh, revealed, uh, introduced back in 2020. They sold about uh, 10,000 of those so far, and now adding to the Roanoke operations in Virginia will be the MD uh, Electric. This is um, this is something that, you know, they're going to need to do this. They have to do it because the regulations are going are to require it. Um, we also got uh, medium-duty news today from Hino, the Japanese uh, subsidiary of Toyota Motor Corporation. They are uh, also doing two versions, Hino is, of their uh, class uh, six and, excuse me, class four and five um, electric trucks. Uh, They will work with C Electric out of Australia to use the C drive power uh, system uh, on their trucks. And then finally, Azusu, uh, a leader in the uh, class four and five medium duty segment, is bringing out uh, a, a uh, electric truck version of its, uh, I think, leading, uh, market leading um, medium duty. So this can't be a coincidence, everyone. This is, a, this is a common thread, and we're seeing it for one reason, and that's regulations. California is going to start in 2024 with some very difficult or stringent regulations around emissions, and the companies that want to play out there and in the states that adopt those regulations are going to have to go with what um, uh, what California wants. And of course, they're also getting some pressure from their customers, excuse me, customers as well, or, that have their own sustainability goals and, and want, uh, want help getting those met. So this is what's happening. This is the theme that's developing uh, down at the Work Truck Show. Now we're going to bring in Daryl Adams, our first guest today. Daryl, it is great to see you. We haven't talked for some time, but uh, thanks very much for, for coming to us. It looks like you might actually be in your truck. Is that true? I, I am in the truck, Alan. Yes, in the uh, the class awesome. five today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, th- this is great. I, we haven't talked in a while, and and I couldn't make the show this year, so I really appreciate you coming on. Um, this is uh, the second uh, iteration now of the Blue Arc. You want to take us through the Blue Arc program a little bit? Sure, sure. And, and thank you for having us on uh, from the Shift Group. So 
back in uh, last year, exactly one year ago, we uh, unveiled our class three, all brand new custom from the ground up class three EV chassis. And then we also had a brand new class three EV body on top of it. And when I say EV body, that's much lighter weight, uh, new technology, all brand new uh, cab. And then this year, right, uh, as we move up, so we're going to have a class three, four and five walk-in van. But this year, you see some of the pictures on there. We introduced a crew cab, which is a class five with a dump body on the back. We've had some interest from some dealers and customers asking for a class five vehicle that would have a dump body on it. We got landscaping people involved. We also could put a box truck on it. And as you see where I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the, the back of the truck where we have four seats along the back wall where we can carry a crew of six. We have four in the back. We have a jump seat and a driver's seat in the front. So a crew of six can go to a work site or a moving, you know, a house to move it, pack it. And uh, so we're looking forward. It's the prototype. We want to see uh, how the market looks at it. And so far at the show, it's been a hit. We've had people crawling in and out of it. We actually have people standing outside waiting for this to end so they can get back in and look around. So um, it's a great, uh, great show this year and looking forward to uh, having some more conversation with you. <laughs> no dirt in the back that they're crawling through, I hope. You kept it clean back there? We washed it up before we brought it to the show, for sure. There, there you go. There you go. Hey, you know, I got a little bit ahead of myself, Daryl. I, I really w did want to spend a little bit more time kind of introducing you. I just threw it right into the into the reveal, uh, which is pretty exciting for you guys. I mean, you know, you're, you're doing some pretty interesting stuff out there. Um, but I guess I really should say that you've been at Shift now uh, since 2014. Back then, it wasn't known as the Shift Group. It was Spartan Motors. Um, and, you know, in 2020, uh, the, the name changed to the Shift Group and and uh, sort of embodies what the company sees now as, as the future of mobility, I think. I mean, that's certainly part of your rationale. Um, you... Uh, uh, you have other brands that are very familiar to people under the Shift Group, of course. Utilimaster, Royal Truck Body, uh, Spartan RV, Spartan is still out there, it's the RV chassis, and a few others. Um, you've got 3,800 employees in 10 states, which is impressive, and uh, and two countries. And um, you had just under a billion dollars in, uh, in profits uh, in 2021. All pretty impressive stuff, uh, for a company. So I, I guess at that point, I mean, you know, I'd like to know more from you. You know, let's talk a little bit about the shift group in total, and then we'll go back to the uh, to the blue arc. Sure. As, as you mentioned, I started in 2014 uh, as their COO, quickly moved into the CEO role in February of 15. And we put a, uh, you know, it was a turnaround at the time, Alan. So by the time we got the business turnaround, it was late 17. We brought the team together. We developed a strategy, and that strategy was was a five-year strategy. Where do we want to go? What do we want to look like? So we started on the East Coast, uh, putting up some states. Right, We moved to Pennsylvania, started doing truck bodies there for the USPS. We acquired a company down in Florida. We acquired a company in California. So along the way, we've and then recently we bought a company up in Maine. Um, and we divested our fire truck group as well. And that, the interesting point there is the fire truck group was what the company was founded on back in 1975. So when we looked at it and we saw where are the growth markets, right? As a public company, we want to continue to grow. And we saw the growth markets under Utilimaster as a delivery space, if you would. And then we started building out our infrastructure side of the business under specialty vehicles. 
So now we've sold the fire truck division. So we have two go-to-market brands. And then most recently, or sorry, two divisions. And most recently, we brought out another go-to-market brand called Blue Arc. So total, we have nine go-to-market brands. And at the NTA Truck Show this week, we have five of those brands represented uh, with bodies and accessories and the Class 5 Blue Arc. Um, so it's been, uh, uh, and, and you mentioned 21 revenue this year, sorry, last year, 2022. Uh, we were just over a billion dollars, so we hit the, exceeded the 1 billion mark uh, for the first time in the company history. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. I, I didn't feel good using a 2020 figure, but I didn't have time to look up a 22. Um, I, you know, I guess I'd ask you, uh, Daryl, at this point, you know, how's the rebranding working out? You know, one of the reasons I think people do it is to draw attention to what's new. Um, you've got some legacy brands, I suspect, that are really putting in a lot of those numbers on the revenue side and ultimately contributing to profit. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about how the rebrand has worked out in terms of recognition, attracting new customers, things like that. Yeah. So the reason we needed to rebrand was when we sold the fire truck division, because the company was called Spartan Motors and the acquirer of that fire truck business wanted to keep the name Spartan. So we were actually forced into it, Alan. And, and we went through a whole process to come up with a new name. And I think it's, it's really interesting because you did mention a lot of these brands are strong brands. They have really go to market following and so we're keeping each one of those brands under the shift umbrella, if you will, so that each one still has their go-to-market brand. We think it's important um, because we do have um, Duramag, which came from Maine. We have Royal from the West Coast. Uh, we have Strobes R Us down in Florida. And if we change everything to shift, I think it would just confuse more people. So we decided to be a, a house of brands, if you will, versus a branded house. Okay, more than more. I was going to use the term holding company, but really, house of brands certainly makes sense. I've, you know, either way. So let's go back to the new Blue Arc. Now, what went into the decision to do a crew cab? I, I got to be honest, I don't think I've seen one. So maybe it was just something that. Tell me about it. Sure. So when we so we we started with the class three uh, walk in van, and we moved up to a class four and five. So we have those all designed, ready to go, and we're going to launch. Uh, start launching a class three in the second half of this year. The class five will probably be in the first half of next year, maybe a little bit later. But as we were thinking of what do we want to take to the show, and we had some of our dealers as we're setting up their dealer network for the class three, they were having conversations saying, look, we're getting questions about how do I get a, a, a vehicle that's EV that's not a delivery vehicle? Or because everyone's going in that space, they were talking about uh, landscaping was really the first thing that we got questioned on. Then we started thinking about it and said, you know, um, with our range of over 200 miles per charge, you can move in an urban environment quite well. So if maybe we put a box truck on the back or even a, a delivery of something that takes a steak truck, right? Or, you know, we do a lot of uh, Utilimaster, they do a lot of SSV, we call it specialty service vehicles, which would be power companies, and you know DPW type trucks for your municipalities, and this truck would fit right in with that as well. You can take a crew of six to a work site with some type of a service body in the back, or a stake truck, or even a small crane if you're a utility company. So um, it's a prototype. We, you know, it was really it wasn't uh, much of a stretch for us to go from our Class Five walk-in van to a Class Five cab only. So we cut it off right behind the doors and put a wall on the back and put the, the seating in it. 
and then we have a straight chassis in the back. If you take that dump body off, it's just like a cab chassis, but it's a, a crew cab. It's a bigger cab to take a large crew. Yeah, I'm thinking about, especially you mentioned landscaping. I'm thinking about that because you do see crews that, you know, head out. Uh, you see them at Speedway in the morning, get their coffee and that kind of thing. But then you also see them on job sites. And, you know, being able to put six people in, in one truck, that's a pretty good sized firm for some of these landscapers. I don't know if it if it runs all the way over from a, a weight perspective into commercial landscaping or, or, or what you see. I mean, who all did you talk to as you were putting this uh, prototype idea together? Yeah, it, it was mainly our dealers um, that, that have people calling them and are interested in it. Um, and, again, it, it's a concept vehicle, if you will, a prototype vehicle, you know, like the automotive guys do. And we're just trying to get interest here at the show. And uh, I'll tell you, it was really, really popular today. Um, people were, were inside of it. And I think what what really excites the people when they're looking at this is it's something new. They haven't seen it before. Um, and it's it's – we do have a 200 mile range. We have a payload capacity from six to 10,000 pounds. Um, and it's a, it's an all aluminum lightweight capacity. Um, and the battery packs, right. We can run from 158 kilowatt, um, up to 316. Uh, it can do a level two or DC fast charge. It's very similar. It's exactly the same as our 800 volt class three system, uh, which will go 4,000 cycles. And, you know, we put a little bit of a, a solar option on top. Um, and what that's for is to, to help just keep the accessories going. And we do have, on one side of the truck, we do have a compartment underneath the, the, the dump body where we have charging stations in for power tools. So if you're even at a job site, you need a drill. So it, it can charge the drills as the drill batteries as you're working. Or, you know, at, at my house, <clears throat> I moved to an electric blower um, and I can charge those batteries while you're on the work site with the other battery. So we, we took some of that into consideration. It has a 360 camera. It has everything that the Class 3 walk-in van or the Class 5 walk-in van would have, but it's just a, a shorter cab. Um, and, you know, we're, we're talking to people here at the show and, and picking up interest and seeing if it makes sense to, to proceed with it. But uh, if we don't go with this truck, we still will have our class five walk-in van that uh, we, you know, we talked about last year when we rolled out the class three and everyone's really excited about that product coming to the market. Yeah. You know, from a practicality standpoint, one of the things that, you know, the F-150 Lightning talks about is being able to, you know, uh, charge the homes and things like that. But, but on a practical basis for a crew, and I'm still sticking with that landscaping crew, you know, or, or maybe a construction crew, you know, having access to electric electricity there, solar powered presumably i don't know how much of a uh, how much you can get from that but but th- this all sounds pretty practical so it'll be interesting to see what happens i want to take you one more place while we have a few minutes left uh, daryl and that is to the consolidation that we're seeing you know you you had some pretty strong comments when we talked a year or so ago and we hadn't begun to see the shakeout that we're now starting to see in fact you've been involved directly picking up either the assets or the whole of the XL fleet business. Um, and I just want to ask you, I want to get your, your take on how much farther this consolidation is going to go. I mean, there, there may be everybody at the show this year that was there last year, absent one or two. What are you going to see next year? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I think, you know, when we talk to our investors or even the customers, um, our traditional walk-in van customers, um, I think they're, they're seeing – what you described, right? Some of the fall off on some of these startups. And I think with the interest rates being as high as they are, 
the the cost of just running a business today is is increasing and then you're taking the labor costs as i mentioned the business and then you're taking development costs and as as they continue to to use cash and then you're, you're looking at uh, the recession that might be coming i think you know there alan you, you said maybe a couple missing from the show this year i think there's a little more than that missing um and i'm going to be walking around here in a bit with one of our investors but uh, I think next year you're going to see a significant amount drop off. And I think as we talked last year, we stayed within our class three to five where we always have run business. We've been there. We've built trucks. We didn't want to get into class two because we knew the OEMs were going to come there in class two as we knew the OEMs were coming up in six, seven, and eight. So we stayed within our, our if you will, our wheelhouse. Um, that's where we're going to continue to play. And uh, we're excited about the products that we're bringing to the market. And we think because we're a viable company, we're funding this out of our cash flow. Um, it, it, you know, it's more to us to, to fund it ourselves. And I think our customers feel there's more buy-in from the team to, to get the product right. And that when we bring it to the market, we do have manufacturing capability. That's what we've been doing for 50 years on the body side. We've been building custom chassis on the, the motorhome and fire truck side for, for 47 years. Uh, so you combine that together. I think we have an awesome team for sure and a great product that as soon as we start building production, uh, we think it's going to speak for itself. Well, you know, you you mentioned staying in your lane, basically, not getting tempted to expand too far and things like that. And you do have this this background of, you know, many, many years of of doing what you do best. I guess, you know, as you look at some of the startups and again, things like cash flow and even revenue are elusive to them. Uh, you know, the SPAC thing didn't do anybody any favors. Just give me a quick quick comment on that. I mean, I don't know that that was, you know, really wasn't some, you were a public company, so it really was an option for you, but. Yeah, no, I think I think it was it was a, a viable alternative for some of those companies that wanted to, to get into this, into this space. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes when you do that, uh, you know, the economy or, or the business, if we will, challenges gets in the way. Um, and, you know, the reason we decided to do our own chassis, Alan, I think we talked last time, was we couldn't find a chassis in the space that met our requirements, especially our customers' requirements of a 15-year life frame minimum, right? That would, we, you know, we made the frame rails. That's why it's all ground up. We put the frame rails wider so the batteries fit between it so they're safer instead of just attaching them on the side like some others at the show are doing. So, um, you know, we did a lot of, of, of validating our current products in the ice space. And then what are we going to do different in the EV space when we build a vehicle? And we took all those learnings over the years and, and brought it together. And, and uh, I think we hit a home run. Yeah, well, I, I'm good. we're going to find out. It's a good-looking vehicle. Listen, Daryl, we're going to wrap it up here, but thank you so much for coming on today. It was great to have you and uh, have you there from the show where I can't be this year, but but you can. And uh, so it's good to have you. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate your time and let us have this opportunity. Great. Okay, so from one to the other, you know, I, again, I mentioned that, that I'm not at the show this year, so I can't really, uh, you know, write too much from a first-person perspective. But what I can do is bring in somebody who is walking the floor and who is spending time uh, evaluating what he sees, and and that is a guest we tried to have a few weeks ago. We had a little bit of a, 
mix up, but that was Antti Lindstrom, who is the uh, trucking analyst for S&P Global Mobility. Antti um, has been uh, in this space for a while. He watches very carefully. He can't talk all the time about specific companies, but I'll do that and he can answer in general. Um, Antti, great to have you. Thanks for coming in. Well, thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. And um, let's hope that the technical issues are resolved now, <laughs> unlike well, so last time. But no, enjoy the opportunity. So far, so good, right? I mean, you're on, I'm on, so all's good with the world. Hey, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to start out. You've uh, you've been there for a couple of days at least. I wanted to start out with just sort of some some quick take impressions of what you're seeing and what's standing out to you. Um, like. Um, we heard from the previous comments there, too, that um, this is an industry that's in the flux there. And some of the players that we saw here last year, especially the newcomers, are not here anymore. And um, to me, that's a sign of the market getting more mature. And what impressed me was the, some of the presentations that I've uh, listened to yesterday, especially in the green uh, truck portion of the exhibition, uh, that um, there were some comments made how the market is the conversation is evolving into not so much about the what the vehicles are but how the infrastructure is built around that and service that uh, market in the future and then those are the main concerns obviously it, you can have a truck there but if the truck doesn't have a place to plug in then uh, the truck is not going to move much from where it's at and obviously, one solution to that is the regional satellite operation that we see. But beyond that, we need to see some growth in the charging operations uh, in the longer distance there. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty much consensus now that that the trucks and the vehicles are ahead of the charging infrastructure. We know there's some federal money out there and some other uh, startups really that are working in terms of public charging, uh, charging as a service and various other things like that. Um, it is interesting to note that some of these, uh, you know, opportunities, um, I think our friends, uh, you know, we have Mike Roth from the North American Council for Freight Efficiency on with us last week, and he's doing this run on less electric depot this year just to find out what it looks like both behind the fence in terms of charging, uh, you know, on site, overnight charging, things like that. And then also some of the public charging uh, opportunities that are out there. So I think everybody's focused on the right things, but I don't think you get there overnight. And I, and I suspect that's kind of, you know, uh, grudgingly what people are accepting is that they're just not going to be able to have everything all the time, you know, and yet exactly. what happened today, we see three new uh, uh, medium duty electric trucks, uh, Mac, Kino and Azusu all announced them, maybe not in succession, but they all announced them today. Um, that's a lot at one time, isn't it? It is. And it's interesting that these are all uh, established names that have been in the market for quite some time. So they obviously have the uh, system in place how to do this. And the main investments for the infrastructure from their end of it are already in place. So it's not a matter of starting from zero or from scratch as with some of the newcomers in the market. So um, it's a matter of engineering the vehicle so that it accepts or the, how to configure the battery solution there and then what the motor, how the motor is installed there and um, then obviously selling it to the right applications. But uh, I, I was impressed by what I was seeing here today, yes. 
Well, give me give me some, uh, you know, have you had a chance to walk the floor much and see what's out there? Is there anything that really stands out? Uh, besides those, um, then, yes, uh, the Blue Arc project with um, is, uh, that we saw introduced last year, that's being on display here. And um, also the um, SEA, for example, who was here uh, with their own booth last year also, seems to have gotten some foothold there because we see that they um, are being suppliers of the battery, not battery necessarily, but uh, also the uh, power system for some of the established players, including Mac. And yeah, so I was going to say, well, Hino for sure. I mean, I know Hino yes. called them out specifically um, as being, you know, the the, the source of their of their power system. Um, interesting because, you know, we also, uh, you know, I, I don't know how present Cummins is there. This is their state. But they went to D.C. today to to announce a, a, a rebranding of their new power division. They're into all of these things, including hydrogen and and things like that. I don't I don't imagine that we're seeing a lot in the hydrogen space for medium duty or for the work truck. But I guess we could at, at some point. Um I guess I'd be interested to know kind of where you see the preferred propulsion going. Is it pretty much all electric all the time for this group of vehicles? Um, not necessarily. That was one of the things, main themes also in those lectures yesterday, that it's uh, individual choices, depends on the application. So um, when you ask what what's the solution, the answer is it depends. It depends on where you are. It depends on what uh, sec sector or segment you are serving and then what works best for that particular solution and obviously price and then the fuel solution that's a combination so it all uh, needs to be evaluated very carefully and then um, from a number of different factors and come together in the best way it's interesting you pointed out comments by the way there too their presence here in indianapolis this year is much uh, less visible than what has been the case in the past so um at the same time, we know that they are focusing on uh, internal combustion engine solutions using hydrogen. And I thought that I would see more of that here, but it's not the case. So that uh, is an interesting coloring well, of the sector. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that sort of agnostic uh, fuel approach that Cummins is, is kind of leading in. I think I've seen a few others that have talked about, you know, essentially burning hydrogen. It, it, it still sets out some level of emissions. And we certainly know that there's some absolutists out there in the in California and others that don't want anything that burns. And Europe certainly is not in favor of it. But these are interim technologies. Now, maybe they don't fit as well to the medium duty, but, you know, Cummins did come with a 10 liter engine uh, a few weeks ago to replace their 12 liter and, and, uh, and the, and the uh, nine liter. Um, and so they're looking now to, you know, do those with the, the fuel agnostic approach and, and that sort of thing. So I wonder, do you see uh, this as a good interim solution for uh, not necessarily medium duty for any of the trucks? Uh, I think that there's a permanent place for hydrogen in uh, some applications. And um, at the same time, let's not forget that the medium, this is not a, just a place for medium duties. Work Truck Show has always got a segment for heavy duty trucks as well. We have class eight trucks uh, working in, uh, in vocational applications in municipal uh, fleets, et cetera, for example. But uh, I think that there's going to be some softening of the stance that uh, 
there, the, it might not be a completely 100% uh, requirement for uh, zero emissions per se, and that is going to be the remedy then that uh, hydrogen can be used with a uh, little bit of diesel or uh, even natural gas perhaps as a starter fuel there then, and that's going to be a minor percentage of that um, carbon input there. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I think it's got a permanent place and that's my understanding from discussing with some of the people in the engine business specifically. And, and not just in fuel cells, not just to power a fuel cell, but rather to no. actually, you know, no. go into an internal combustion engine. Yeah. Interesting. No. I, you know, I, I was fascinated. I was going to say that. I think Cummins is consciously pushing in that direction. And when you look at the Westport also, they, they are moving in that similar direction there. Different yeah. markets, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't understand until they explained it to me why Cummins was already announcing sales of those vehicles for 2027. But apparently it has something to do with a lot of the regulations globally now are starting to get into line a little bit better than they used to be. And uh, so now they can sort of, uh, you know, time these things out a little differently. I want to take you where I where I took Daryl a few minutes ago, Auntie, and I know you're going to have a uh, not really be able to talk specific about companies, but we're seeing uh, a shakeout now uh, in the electric and the autonomous uh, startup space. It's picking up speed. We covered the Embark Trucks uh, announcement last week with, you know, 70% of its employees being laid off. We understand uh, that Waymo has, uh, if not shut down, at least paused the the uh, Waymo via truck business, the autonomous business, even though they have a good partnership with Daimler Truck. And then we also see that, you know, Nikola has got some financial issues that led to, uh, you know, a, 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 a filing of a, a notice of going concern. And they've got some issues with Lion Electric that we've written about. Uh, lots going on out there. What do you make of it in terms of a consolidation? Is that where we're headed now? I think it's going to continue. I think it was clear last year already that there's it was too crowded uh, to support all of that number of the new entrants that we have here. And that's why I think that uh, cooperation between existing players is inevitable. We saw that already in Bollinger being taken over or selling it uh, to Mullen and uh, Lightning and Bluebird getting together. It's uh, it's just natural. There's too much cap The capital requirements are too heavy that uh, it's really, really difficult for one company to do it alone. So it makes sense that... Uh, two heads put together is stronger than just uh, one individual here and another there, so to speak, if you put that in human terms. But anyway, I, I think it's going to continue. I, did, I think it's inevitable. And I think that's also part of the uh, clearing out of the air that's happening, if you will, in the market that the companies who were eager to enter this segment, the commercial vehicles, and there was all that talk about the uh, e-commerce supporting so much uh, of this business but let's not forget that it's not something that any company would give out market uh, share free for somebody who is new to the business or even for somebody who's been in the business for a long time everybody had to earn their own position there and everybody has internal knowledge of the market that they uh, use for their own best good to be able to push forward. I, I think well, there's been was, some overestimation from the newcomers, in other words, and uh, the reality is hitting hard now. 
Yeah, well, some of the legacy players uh, that, you know, we didn't mention, like in Navistar got in with a medium duty electric early, uh, obviously a Daimler probably very soon will we'll get the EM2 into production. Um, you know, we've already got uh, Kenworth and Peterbilt uh, with a medium duty electrics or, or, you know, class five and six electrics out there. So it's getting very crowded too, even among the legacy players who I guess will have yeah. to fight for pieces of a relatively small pie for now. Do you see, anti a hockey stick type of approach to this coming in terms of the adoption of electrics, especially in the medium duty space? Eventually, yeah. But right now, it's going to take some longer. You have to have more patience. In other words, you need to have deeper pockets to be able to go through this period of developing the market. It's a new market for most of the players here. So it's not going to happen overnight. And at the same time, we have the econ- economic matters or economic factors playing against it right now. Uh, yes, there's still a bit of a threat of a recession and maybe not so much in the first half of this year, for example, in the U.S., but in the second half, uh, demand is going to show in the slowing of the industry uh, a right. little bit there. And at the same time, the mon- cost of money is rising, so interest rates are rising, so it's going to cost more to borrow that money. Right, right. Capitalism. Well, Anthony, thank, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's great to have you here. I'm glad the technology did not betray us again and uh, we could actually have this conversation. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show down there. And um, again, thanks for, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Alan. Appreciate it. Okay, so folks, we're gonna we're gonna go over and and talk with uh, Jennifer Rumsey, the CEO of Cummins, and with Amy Davis, who is the uh, president of the New Power, now called Accelera Division at uh, at Cummins, uh, and we are happy to have them. Well, we had some big news this uh, earlier today from Cummins, uh, who went to Washington, D.C., to announce the uh, rebranding of its new power division as Accelera, which is a, an interesting name. I'm going to let our guests, Jen Rumsey, the CEO of Cummins, uh, and Amy, Dam- Amy Davis, the president of Accelera, explain in more detail. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Alan. We're happy to be here today. Yeah, well, you guys, you, you guys took your show on the road. I mean, Columbus is a nice town; we love it. But I think you wanted a little bit of a different audience today, and I presume you got it. Tell me a little bit, if you would, uh, who the target audience is for this announcement. So we're really excited that today, as you said, we announced a new brand for our new power business, Accelera by Cummins. Accelera is one of the key elements of Cummins' broader destination zero strategy, which is really our focus on decarbonizing our industry, commercial and industrial equipment and trucking, of course, is a big piece of that. And so Cummins has invested for years in in engine-based solutions, well known for our diesel engines. And we believe that both engines as well as these new zero emissions technologies are a critical part of decarbonizing our industry. By launching Accelera by Cummins, we're asserting a bold position on the leadership uh, role we have today in these zero emissions technologies, as well as our commitment to continue to lead in this space to our customers, to our employees, to investors, and also to policymakers, which are going to be a key part of the, the collaboration that needs to happen to drive these zero emissions technologies forward. Amy, your thoughts on why there, why now? Yeah, it's really an exciting next step in our progression 
units of a business unit totally focused on zero carbon solutions for the really tough commercial applications around the world. And being here was symbolic in the sense that to make this decarbonization accelerate, it's going to take partnerships. We had a lot of customers here today with us, strategic partners, policymakers, as Jen said, it's going to take all of us working together to accelerate the decarbonization in commercial space. So you mentioned investors, Jen, and I and I just want to follow up with that because you know your stock is near a fifty-two week high right now, uh, which is congratulations on that. But Wall Street is part of the audience for this, right? I mean, you know, you want to get some credit, I think, for the work that you've done. I think it's nine hundred million dollars that you've invested in New Power Accelera uh, to this point. Um, you're looking to get some. You're looking to get that message out, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we launched Destination Zero just over a year ago, and our sustainability goals for our company and for our industry are aligned with our business goals. We see decarbonization as a growth opportunity for for Cummins. We've set ambitious goals to grow both our core business and the engine-based solutions that will play a role in decarbonizing our industry, and also growing Accelera. Uh, as an important part of advancing these zero emissions technologies. And, and we've evolved that business. So we have today 2,000 employees that come from Cummins, from a variety of acquisitions that we've done to build capability and our position in these zero emissions technologies. And we're bringing them together and really focusing them on moving these zero emissions technologies forward. So this year in Amy's business, we're projecting revenue to double from last year to 350 to $400 million dollars. And by 2030, we're projecting that that business will see six to $13 billion, zero emissions technologies growing at that rate as Cummins positions ourselves as both a zero emissions power solutions provider and also in uh, our role in the infrastructure, in particular electrolyzers for green hydrogen production. So you can talk a little bit more, Amy, about some of the key uh, ways that we're really growing and positioning this business for the future. But it's a big part of our growth story. And I don't think people always recognize the role we have, the position we have today and the opportunities to grow in this space for Cummins. Exactly, Jen. And if you think about our business as a pure play, because that's really what we are, we are singularly focused on zero carbon, zero emission solutions. So if you compare that revenue Jen talked about, if you compare our customer base, the applications we have in the field, the work we're doing on both vehicles, industrial, and infrastructure, we're doing it all, and we need to stand out on it. We need a platform to shine the light on that work so people see it and really recognize it for the leadership that it is. Yeah. So Tom Weinbarger, Jen, told me over a year ago, I think when, when we talked way back in December of 21, he said he could see a day when New Power, again, what it was called at the time, could become sort of the, the lead engine, if you will, for an engine maker. That is that, that it, it, the script may flip in terms of New Power being the dominant uh, thing and engines, of course, still being important, um, you know, because today they pay the bills, right, Amy? I mean, you know, for what's going on. And, and I think this idea of, of a, of a switch is, is particularly interesting. Does this move, the naming, uh, the use of Accelera, does that begin to push the business in that direction? Well, really, our one of our main objectives is recognition of these zero emissions technologies, the role that Cummins plays, and our commitment to continue to lead in this space. And as you said, this is going to be a transition. That part of our business is going to grow. That number that we talked about, six to thirteen billion by twenty thirty, is some of our existing markets starting to move to these zero emissions technologies. And also, a big part of that is the electrolyzer 
business. So we are projecting that our engine business and engine solutions will continue to grow during that timeframe as well. Cummins has unmatched scale and a footprint globally that really positions us well to help our customers as they navigate this change, be able to continue to invest in this full range of solutions. We're committed to continuing to deliver strong returns to our investors and also take that investment and feed it back into engine solutions in the, in the coming years, as well as these new solutions. Over time though, the business and our customers will transition. So today we're really focused on this dual path approach and how over time we enable the transition and the shift in our industry. And there's a lot of capabilities that we have across the broader Cummins that will play an important role in really growing and maturing the solutions that we're developing within Accelera by Cummins as well. Well, one of the interesting things about Accelera, and I, I, you didn't address it this, uh, this morning when you introduced it, you may not be prepared to even address it now, but the thought that, you know, having just spun off or, or stood up your filtration business as a standalone, um, what down the road is these numbers that you've referred to a couple times, the six billion to 13 billion in revenue, does Accelera become the kind of thing that perhaps stands up as an LLC or something like that in the future? I mean, again, to unlock that value, uh, you know, that maybe you're not getting enough credit for from Wall Street. Look, these are the things that I'd say Cummins is really focused on and has a history of doing. We embrace challenge and turn challenge into opportunity. We use it to drive innovation and growth in our business. We take a long-term view around what our customers need, the challenges that our customers and our environment have, and look at how we evolve and change the company in response to that. And we're committed to delivering strong returns to our investors as well. So we're constantly evaluating our portfolio our investments and what we need to do to best meet the needs of our business, our customers and our, our investors. And with that, we look at places we need to invest more, places that we maybe need to get out of. And the filtration is a, is a phenomenal, strong business. It has opportunities to continue to grow and evolve in new spaces that are different than where Cummins Destination Zero strategy and our long-term focus are, are really going. And so we're providing an opportunity for that business to separate and really pursue the growth opportunity and value that it has on its own. What I hope you've heard from me is destination zero and our broader strategy for Cummins to decarbonize is it takes both improving engine-based solutions and growing these zero emission solutions. And there's a benefit, there's a reason it's Accelera by Cummins. Amy can talk a little bit about how she's thinking about what do we need to do differently? What are some unique focuses to be successful in these zero emission solutions? And where are the places that you benefit and leverage some of what you have of being a part of a broader Cummins business? So Amy, what a great lead. And I, I won't ask the question because Jen did. Why don't you explain a little bit, including perhaps a couple of announcements you made today as part of this uh, rebranding, you announced a couple of pieces of business. Uh, maybe you could take us through that. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jen and Alan. Um, so we've always, when we set up this business, known that we would have to keep a little bit of separation, look for avenues of growth that might be non-traditional, new business models, new ways of working. We'd have to move fast, be agile. And so we've, we've done that from day one. Now, this is just a next natural step by giving it a platform and a name that really embodies what we're trying to do. And so that, I think, is one component of it. If you look at actually what we are doing underneath the surface, we have a complete portfolio of products that working together can customize for different applications. 
but also we can find ways to have building blocks that we can scale for commercial. So if you think about it, we have batteries, we have inverters, motors, we have traction systems, e-axles, battery management systems, and the controls capability to do it all. So today, we're selling some components to integrators or OEMs who want to do more themselves. And we're also selling subsystems and fully integrated drivetrains and even vehicles. So we're all over what is going to work together in combination to accelerate the shift for commercial applications. We talked today about school buses. What a great application for electrification today. And with our partner Bluebird, we're going to put a thousand school buses into the market in the next 12 to 18 months. So this is just another example, and you'll keep hearing more about our work to accelerate the shift. And Accelera by Cummins gives this unique capability to have those buses supported by our distribution network, supported by our smart engineers and problem solvers, problem solvers that are already out there. Well, you know, I can't help but be reminded a little bit, uh, you may not agree with this example, but Delphi back oh, a, de a decade ago split itself, actually renamed itself Aptive, and then split off its technology businesses. Those ultimately were purchased by Borg Warner. Borg Warner now is spinning those off or se separating them essentially to focus on what? Electrification. So I, I guess I see that and I see some smaller businesses too doing similar things, uh, picking a name and basically trying to I don't want to say reinvent because, you know, you started this process, you know, in 2019 when you coined new power. But this idea of setting it up, standing it up as something, quote unquote, new, it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, this is, in fact, the way it, it's done, right? Yeah. So, you know, we've been growing this business, as you said. Actually, we originally called it electrified power. Then we called it new power. We've done six different acquisitions and building the capability of the team we have today. This is really a breakthrough inflection point for us to bring that together and assert the bold position we have and we'll continue to have to lead in these technologies. So Accelera by Cummins will continue to be our fifth business segment, an exciting, growing part of Cummins' broader business with Amy leading it. Uh, and we really do see that there's a lot of benefit of being focused on what accelerates and what enables success in these technologies and not being afraid to take to take different approaches or try different things and also leveraging the strength of being a part of Cummins and the, the capabilities that we, we've built over a hundred years, strong partnerships and customers that are seeking us out and saying, we know that you're gonna be there. We know you understand our applications and our business. How can you help us with this technology transition? We have this strong scale position, which as Amy's business is growing and bringing new products to market at a greater rate, she can tap into. Today, we're doing battery uh, pack assemblies in our Columbus engine plant in Columbus, Indiana. No longer doing engines there, by the way. We're all, we announced that we're going to be doing electrolyzer assembly within our Fridley plant in, in Minnesota. And so there is synergy. I just want to really emphasize this, this point of be bold, be different, take risks, try new things and be willing to do that. And also recognize where there's value of being a part of the broader Cummins brand. Well, it's interesting too, because some of the businesses that I mentioned, you know, are, are shedding things that maybe uh, don't have a future focus. Your legacy business is as strong as it's ever been in getting stronger. And I guess it sounds a bit like a commercial coming from me. So you're welcome. But, but the, you're welcome. But the idea, for example, that you're going to do all the medium duty uh, uh, engines for Daimler uh, worldwide in a few years, that suggests that, that the engine business is just fine. Thank you very much. But you see something else here and, and, and you're pursuing it 
you know, aggressively. I mean, you mentioned the six acquisitions. I, I don't think it started necessarily with hydrogenics, but that was a big piece of it. And of course, the most recent one in Meritor, the most expensive one too, uh, you know, that brought a really important technology, Amy, which is the e-axle. Do you want to talk about, you know, that gets you to the point of being able to integrate a full chassis, right? Yeah, let me just talk about the engine seat piece. And then, Amy, you should talk more about some of these acquisitions and the, the business that we have today. As you said, we're growing on the on the engine business side. We had record revenue uh, and profitability last year for Cummins. Our markets, which I know your, your viewers really understand, trucking and commercial and industrial equip equipment are different than passenger car, right? They're different in how they're used. They're different in how this transition will occur and in the solutions that are required in end state. And so that is a key piece of needing to continue to invest in engines, uh, reducing CO2 emissions from engines through efficiency improvement and low and zero carbon fuel. And we're making big investments in that base business and doing that and enabling some of our customers to focus their investments in other places because they know we're gonna be a leader in providing engine-based solutions at the same time as we're growing, advancing, and really accelerating these zero emissions technologies, it'll be so important. Mm -hmm. Sure, Alan, I can jump in on the e-axles. And you know, one of the things Jen's talking about is as we look at transforming vehicles in a cost-effective, realistic, and quick, fast, agile way, a lot of OEMs are looking at leveraging the common components in their chassis. And so an axle makes for a great packaging location for some of the electrified components. So we see that e-axles will be critical to various applications in the vehicle space and even into some of the industrial um, applications like bus and others. So what we got with that is deep, you know, embedded relationships with major OEMs around the world, capabilities in integrating uh, the electrified components into an axle system, and also some of their own uh, research and investment in motors and inverters, which we've been investing in. And then they had acquired Siemens, which was also already very successful in, in many bus applications. So bringing this together adds to our portfolio. It's not just about batteries or fuel cells. This traction system is really the heart of it. It's going to be the power of it. And so optimizing them together for different duty cycles is going to be differentiating because it can help with battery sizing and it can help drive applications to the right TCO, total cost of ownership, which your viewers know well. Sure, they live for it actually. So uh, real quick, Amy, I wanna ask you a little bit about electrolyzers and hydrogen. I know you could talk for a half hour or more about that. We don't have that kind of time, but I do wanna understand because the other announcement that you made today did involve hydrogen. You're attacking both sides of what we famously call the chicken and the egg. Um, can you sort of take us through the hydrogen, the green hydrogen and electrolyzer piece of your business, you know, quickly, I guess. I'll do my best quickly. Uh, electrolyzers are the biggest outgrowth opportunity for the company that comes through decarbonization. Today, there's hydrogen produced all over the world and it's often produced using natural gas, so it creates carbon. And so an uh, opportunity today is putting our electrical, electro, electrolyzer solutions into existing hydrogen production and making them green hydrogen, meaning there's no carbon produced anywhere in the cycle. So that's right here and now, and it has nothing to do with adoption and mobility. So that's really new markets for us. There's also industries that are using hydrogen, whether it's fertilizer or steel producing or chip producing, 
They need hydrogen and they want green hydrogen. It's part of their sustainability objective. Again, completely new segments for our company. And now we're starting to see big infrastructure projects, which means like how do we do large scale hydrogen production that we can get into uh, fueling stations around the world to, to power and, and be able to fuel these mobility solutions. That's coming, but we have opportunities now. So it's really having technology that can serve now, but then scale for these bigger infrastructure projects. Sure. That's a, it's a, an, an enviable place to be, I think. Chen, I want to, I want to get you guys out of here on this one and I'll, I'll take comments from both of you. Um, I guess really Tom brought it up, but, but there's a culture issue here. You talked about 2000 employees gathered from lots of different places, lots of acquisitions, plus your own people that, that make up Accelera now. Um, but you're a company of 60 some thousand under the exact number, 60 some thousand employees. 73,000 now. 73. Okay. Acquisitions last year. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, I guess what I'm getting at is um, what about the culture? Do you have, um, if Accelera is sort of a startup culture, you've referenced that without using the term uh, so far. I, you know, if, if that is a startup, how does the culture, uh, uh, you know, sort of net out? And Jen, you as the leader of the company, probably best answer this. Yeah, it, you know, it's a great question. It's a really important question. One of the things I think a lot about as CEO, and, and really there's two elements of our strategy, more broadly for Cummins, we want to create an environment where we attract diverse talent uh, from a variety of different backgrounds and enable all of our employees to grow and develop. And that investment in skilled talent and leadership capability in the company is one of our core strategies. We believe it gives us a competitive advantage. At the same time, this balance of being strong and having the benefits of being a part of a 100-year-old company while also being more agile and, and recognizing that we are competing with startups uh, and in a technology space that is still evolving very rapidly. And so through that, we are empowering Accelera to think about where do we need to use different processes, different business models, create a different environment to ensure that we are leveraging the benefits and strengths of Commons, but also competing in, in a, a world that can be very different. Yeah. Guys, thank you. We're, we're out of time for, for this. Thank you so much for coming on from, uh, from DC today. Uh, look forward to catching up with you individually down the road, uh, here on Truck Tech. Uh, and again, thank you for being here. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Alan. So Jen and Amy are leading Cummins in some new directions and reinforcing some of the original businesses, which is really, I think, uh, uh, why we spend a lot of time covering Cummins. They are have their hands pretty much in everything or bets on all colors, red and black, if you will. I think that, you know, being able to have them today when they announced the Accelerator thing was was tremendous. I really appreciate, uh, uh, you know, John Mills uh, setting that up for us and, and bringing them to us. Uh, really want to look at this week as being kind of a neat week. We had a lot of news on the show today and uh, it was great to be able to pull it all together. So thanks to Daryl and to Auntie, to Jen and to, to Amy. Um, next week on Truck Tech, we will uh, be with uh, Gautam Narang, who is the co-founder and CEO of Gaddick. Uh, Gaddick continues to develop new business in the middle mile segment for autonomy. They're actually out there with driverless trucks taking groceries and other cargo uh, from point A to point B. Uh, very definitely something that uh, is worth revisiting. We had uh, Sam Saad from Gaddick on a few weeks ago with um, 
with Mike Placentia from Ryder uh, talking partnership. Now we might be in a position to talk a little bit about customer relationships and, and new customers. So uh, an exciting show for you next week. Thank you again for joining us, being with us today, and uh, have a great week.